What's going on, everyone, and welcome back to the Nerdwide Podcast. This is episode 75. I'm your host, Tyler Haynes, with my good friend and good co-host, Chris Rivers. Now, Chris, you've got the nice uh, illuminated Elvis sign behind you. I can only wonder why that is a uh, green screen behind you. Yeah, it's our uh, review of the week oh, for the I movies. Can, listen, so. we got a lot to talk about. I'm excited to talk about what we reviewed, especially with Elvis. We went and saw Elvis yesterday in theaters. Um, had a it was it was pretty packed. I think besides like the lower three rows, but mm-hmm. there were uh, a, a row below us was a full a bunch of older women. It looks uh-huh. like they were just came out of the nursing home, maybe. But, <laughs> but there was a mix in the theater as a whole of uh, mm-hmm. there were some younger people, some middle aged people, and right. then... it was it was an experience. I'm really excited to talk about that. But we've got to get to a lot of things first, which is which yeah. are three of our shows, because uh-huh. uh, two of them I'm really excited to talk about, and we'll get to those in a minute. But first, quick housekeeping. Don't forget to subscribe to either our YouTube or podcasting service of your choice. If you enjoy the show, make sure you leave a thumbs up on YouTube or give us a good rating for your podcasting apps. If you don't enjoy what you see or hear, make sure you leave us a comment down below and let us know how we can improve this show. If you want to do more, you can always go to patreon.com slash nerdwide. Three different tiers for three different monetary values. A lot of good different goodies in each of those tiers if you want to go through and do that. But let's get to our show. Chris, have you been watching anything TV-wise this past week? No, this has been a little bit of a crazy week for me. I uh, started my job. Oh, how's that been going? It's been going pretty good. I've been mid-shifting, even though I'm going to be on a later shift once I'm through training. So um, it's kind of thrown things off for me. Mm -hmm. Throwing that circadian rhythm off. (laughs) I don't know when to sleep, when it's up or not. Uh, It's been – I've been watching Doctor Who. I'm on season 13. I just finished uh, episode – three before recording this so i've got like i think five more episodes left and i'm all caught up and ready to go until the 2022 special which will be jody whittaker's last episode um the new doctor taking over so that's coming up for it i haven't really had a whole lot of time this week with all everything else going on and all of our shows and movies and it's been a busy week but it's been a good week is what i'll say yeah Especially with these shows. So I want to get right into this. So we're going to, we've got three shows, Superman and Lois, Miss Marvel, and then The Boys. Forewarning everybody, The Boys is extremely R-rated this week. If you have not seen the episode, um, you might want to skip our review of it because, one, it's really good. But two, um, it gets pretty graphic, and we will talk about a lot of things in, in graphic nature. So I'll let you know when we get there again, and you can skip it there if you need to. But, I mean, the, the episode's called Herogasm, so I mean... Take that what you will. But first, we have to talk about Superman and Lois. We're going full spoilers. We'll finally have an episode after two weeks. I'm um, going to comicbookresources.com uh, by Sam Stone for the recap here. As Superman and Lois Season 2 reaches its penultimate episode, the Man of Steel finds his abilities failing him after nearly being drained by the villainous Ally Alstead's new parasitic powers. Stronger than ever, Ally has begun to merge the inverted world with the Arrowverse, sending the evil superpowered Lana Lang from her universe to finish off Superman. And with Clark Kent completely vulnerable, it's up to the rest of his friends and family to thwart the potential flawed pan. Uh, recovering from his fight with Ally, Clark returns to the Kent family farm in Smallville, visibly weakened and concerned that his body isn't absorbing and processing solar energy as it, ha- as it has his whole life. Clark has still taken him to Tauro's Kryptonian fortress in the desert so he can learn more about his condition from the hologram of his mother, Laura L. Meanwhile, all electronic activity around the world is disrupted before the cubed red sun from the inverted Earth appears on the horizon as part of Allie's merger between worlds. I'm going to full stop here. So, 
She definitely his mom got cut off right there at the end. She was definitely said fly him into the sun, right? To yeah. absorb his power. So because it was risky, and I'm like, that's exactly what she was trying to say. Which I'm like, yeah. duh, it makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. But but the biggest piece here, a whole new square shaped sun is in the sky uh, for the whole right. world. Technology is being disrupted. Uh, things are phasing in and out. I, well, let's let's think this through. Who who else could help us save this? I mean, I don't know any of the other uh, Arrowverse shows. Uh, Supergirl, John Jones, the DEO. I mean, anybody at this point. Right. And the whole episode, that's all I could think about. I said, this is not a Smallville event. This is a world event. And, yeah. and absolutely and nobody else is showing up. <laughs> Nothing, dude. The I whole mean, episode. The only argument I think you could maybe make is because it's affecting the globe, everyone's having to stay where they're at to deal right. with the fallout there. But somebody should have peeled off and headed to Smallville because this is the epicenter. Right. A phone call, maybe. I mean, <laughs> we've got tech- I mean, no technologies on the fritz, but... Yeah. You know, if if Lois had said, you know, I've got to call in to see if I can get in touch with Kara. Mm-hmm. Anything. Yeah. Superman's lost all his powers. We've got this big event happening. People are coming in from the other world. Yeah. You know, hey, let's call your cousin who can help us. Because at one yeah. point they said, you know, who can help? And they said, it's just left up to us. I'm like, no, there, no. there's other people here. <laughs> I mean, call Diggle. I mean, call somebody. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, that was my biggest beef with this whole episode because it's yeah we've talked about it on numerous occasions. I just don't understand where this fits in the Arrowverse, but they keep bringing Diggle in, so it's still in the Arrowverse. Yeah, but, and like we've said before, it, look if you can't get the actors to actually appear, that's fine. But you should at least mention them as a possibility, right? Because hey, they like, do ending a phone call, like okay, we'll, we'll talk to you if anything else happens, Kara. And hang up the phone. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to have the actress there for any bit, right? Right. Or, or anybody. Like, they've got the Hall of Justice that was at the end of Crisis of uh, Infinite Earths. Never has been touched again, in my knowledge. I mean, I have not seen the most the season of Flash that's on now, which is eight, which apparently had a big you know crossover episodes, the first five or eight episodes of it. But mm-hmm. from what I understand, that hall has not been touched, you know, in years. So, I mean. You'd think that you'd have, if you had a whole of justice, you'd think there'd be a way, hey, if there's ever a big global event, let's all talk to each other somehow, some way. But, you know, here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, while Sam Lane is insisting that everyone keeps the full scope of what's going on secret from the general public to avoid possible panic, Lois and Chrissy Beppo brief Lana on what's truly taking place. The inverted Lana menacingly approaches the Kent farm for Superman, but is driven back by Steel before deciding to free the inverted Jonathan Kent instead. In the aftermath, Clark and the others deduce that Allie's in the space between universes and using the powers she absorbed from Superman to fuel the merger with Steel deciding to take point in stopping her. Superman and Lois shifts to a town hall meeting where Lana shares details about the merger and the loss of Superman with former Mayor George Dean leading the townspeople to react with hostility. This whole scene cracked me up. I'm going to get through it first and we'll get to it. This unrest is mitigated by Superman arriving on the scene to assuage Smallville's uh, fears and assure them that Lana is telling everyone the truth. In the confusion, Jordan Kent takes Sarah Cushing away to speak with her privately, only for them to be intact by the inverted Lana and Jordan and Jonathan. This scene cracked me up too, 
because I'm like, why, why are you asking the mayor what she knows of a small Kansas City town? Right. Why is it her? Why is she? Why is she supposed to have all the answers? Uh-huh. I mean, she's telling you everything as she knows it, and y'all are jumping down her throat and say, "Well, oh, you're supposed to be our savior." No, I'm just informing you. <laughs> I mean, I don't. What do you want me to do? <laughs> I uh-huh. can't move planets. Yeah. I'm just the mayor here. It just made no sense to me that whole plot line here. With all the crazy stuff that has happened in Smallville, and then all the crazy stuff they're aware of happening mm-hmm. in Metropolis and other parts of the world, they're so quick to laugh at this as a possibility. Right. And I'm thinking. Really? Yeah. Like, it's you've you've had a guy who grew up in your town, who bullets can't harm, who can fly around, who has all these superpowers, heat vision, mm-hmm. cold breath, all this stuff, and you think this is impossible? Right. <laughs> really? It's makes no sense. the The end of the episode is what truly saved it for me. So with being attacked by Lana and Jonathan, um. Let's see if they get to this. Okay, they do. So, Steel locks Natalie out of her new armor to keep her out of harm's way before modifying his own suit so it can handle extra-dimensional energies. He ventures into the unknown without the other half of it, the show's dynamic duo. Steel fires upon Allie in the space between universes, but discovers that his weapons appear to have no effect as she easily defeats him, leaving him cut off from support back on Earth. This one-sided battle occurs as Jordan single-handedly holds his own against the inverted, inverted Lana and Jonathan along, long enough for Natalie to figure out how to override her father's lockdown protocol. Arriving on the scene at the nick of time, Natalie works with Jordan to incap, inca, ugh, incapacitate their inverted opponents, who are both taken into custody by the military. Sarah, who witnesses Jordan's display of superpowers, is angry that her mother kept her ex-boyfriend's secret from her all along. We knew that trope was coming. We're about to talk about that one. Yeah. Um, this yeah. argument is tabled when the merger begins to escalate with the elements of the two worlds appearing on Earth and just one episode left in Superman and Lois' this season. I really liked how they did this scene with... This was the, the strong part of the whole episode for me. was Jordan holding his own against Jonathan, the Bizarro Jonathan and Bizarro Lana. I really thought that was really well done, the way they were fighting in the hallways. Um, but before they fought, you know, he was talking to Sarah. He was about to tell her everything. The mom cuts him off and says, don't. And then we see Bizarro Lana. And he said, y'all need to run. And she goes, you can't, I'm not leaving you here. And he turns and his eyes are glowing. And he says, run. And I said, oh my God, he did it. She knows we're not dragging this out anymore. Um, I was really excited about that. And then the the scene with Jonathan, Bizarro Jonathan and Jordan um, locking laser eyes together was uh-huh. really cool and really well done. And Natalie coming in to save today was okay. Uh, you know, but the... Then we go back to their house. Sarah is obviously mad at her mom about hiding this from her, keeping the secret. We're doing that whole trope. But before yeah. like it could really be resolved, it the the worlds start merging. But I just thought uh-huh. it was like the whole time like when, as soon as that happened, I was like, okay. <laughs> it's about to hit the fan and I'm here for it. And then, yeah. Yeah. And, and then he she was talking like as if she, he could hear her, right? Because um, he gets knocked down in the hallway and Sarah said something, right? And that's who he heard. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure that's what I took it to be. Yeah. That's Sarah. how I because I, I watched with subtitles and everything, and it didn't say the name, but it said I forget what it said. Something like uh, "Don't hurt Get him" or something for... like that. Oh yeah, don't yeah. hurt him. Yeah. And yeah, I was like, oh, 
this is so good. And then, but it was so smart though because Sarah figured this all out. Like after she see Jordan's eyes, she goes, "You weren't gone for six hours the other day doing uh, at the mayor's office. You were actually finding out all this about Superman." And it just kind of went all together. And I was like, "Oh yeah, this is yeah. this is going to get good. It's going to have repercussions for uh, next season and next episode." I don't think they'll really discuss it much next episode with everything going on, but. I'm really excited, and I'm still holding on to the end of this season. I feel like the Jonathans are going to merge somehow, some way, and that's how he gets his powers. And then season three, we're going to have the the tropes of the two brothers both having powers, the dynamic struggle between that and um, with Superman. I really feel like that's where we're, the road we're heading down towards, and I'm curious to see because we don't know. We know we're getting a season three, but we don't know anything beyond that, especially with this uh, buyout. So. I'm curious to see where we go next season, and hopefully it's with no breaks. Yeah, uh, <laughs> except except over the holidays because they right. always do that. Um, I thought it was really interesting too that when Sarah's talking to to Lana, she she says, "I broke up with him. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't if I had known." Right, because he is, that and, was the whole thing. He was hiding things yeah. from her the whole time. Uh huh. And like that was yeah. even. Was it this episode? It was this episode too, where he at the beginning of it. Uh, oh no! During the the town hall little conference thing at the school, they they rush in and they said, you know, we've known about this. He tells Sarah that we've known about this. She goes, oh, this is what you were hiding from me. He goes, I couldn't tell you. He goes, it was not my place, and didn't want to cause a panic about the whole uh, inversion mm-hmm. and everything. And that's what I thought. That I was like, okay, that's going to be settled and everything. But then we go directly into that hall scene. I was like, nope, we're not settled here, and I'm all about <laughs> it. So. It's always fun when they get to learn about their powers. Do, do you think that, from the character's standpoint, Lana's a little bit, I don't know, maybe subconsciously a little bit put off by the fact that she could have been Mrs. Superman, mm-hmm. but she chose Kyle, and now it's kind of like... Yeah, that's all yeah. She, I can see that, and I think she doesn't want that for... Well, see, I don't know how they're going to do that with, with Jordan, because obviously Sarah's going to want to get back with Jordan when this is all done with. Because, I mean, it's the whole secret and everything. But I think he'll try to. And I wonder if, I don't know. I can see them doing that that whole storyline of Lana talking to Sarah. She, you know, I could have had this. I didn't realize it until then. You're on a completely different path than I was with Clark. And I don't know. I'm about it. I hope it I hope it works out for them. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch. So, one more episode left. Season 2 finale. And we are running out of show episodes for all three of our shows. But mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later down the line. But for now, we're going to talk about Miss Marvel Episode 3, titled Destined. We are going to denofgate.com by Kirsten Howard. Let's see. All right. The, in this third episode of the series, Destined, it was time to get some much-needed answers about Kamala's mysterious Bengal, her family's British and history in British-occupied India. But who cares that Kamala Khan's got the sads or about the unsettling plight of the Jinn when Obi-Wan is... Okay, all right. What in the... That has nothing to do with any of this. Um, all right, here we go. Now let's dig into this week's discoveries. It turns out that Kamala's great-grandmother Aisha and the current... Clint- it turns out that Kamala's great-grandmother Aisha and the current clandestine leader Najma... I'm butchering all of these names. I am so sorry discovered that bangled and eluded area in India as they sought to escape both partition and our dimension. It was attached to a severed blue arm, and there were supposed to be two. Bengals, not arms. Although, probably arms too. 
the bangle did not help the djinn get home back then, as Aisha dis uh, disappeared with it soon after. I'm not read the Miss Marvel comics, so I'm not sure if Kamala uh, was ever connected to the wider Marvel Universe outside of the Inhumans, but as an MCU watcher, this blue arm screams Kree to me. That would be our uh, Captain Marvel connection here, I assume. Um, what I really enjoyed, though, they did a little zoom out of the little pit, the cave they were in. And it was the Ten yeah. Rings logo. So, I mean, that yeah. connects us to Shang-Chi, which makes sense because I'm starting to think, does the Bengal have anything to do with the Ten Rings? Because we found right. out at the end of Shang-Chi, slight spoilers here, that they were not of this planet and they were sending a signal somewhere out in deep space at the end. And that's what well, was the post credit scene. So I wonder if this has anything to do with those rings right. and the Bangalore. Captain Marvel. Captain right. Marvel was in that post credit scene. Right. So I don't know how connected we are, but I think that's how they're going to do so. And I, oh, I would love to get Brie Larson at the end of this season. Just to kind of tie yeah. in. I think we'll get Monica Rambeau more than anybody, but Probably. I think it'll still be good. Back in the present day, the Jinn want Kamala to use the Bengal to help them return to the dimension from where they were first exiled and finish what Aisha started, but naturally their charm fades when Kamala and Bruno decide it's too dangerous to make that happen right now. Uh, and Kamala is soon being hunted by them at her brother's wedding, which by all account looks like a really good time. Uh, truly, there's a special place in hell for someone who upends a buffet table. I mean, I can't really argue with that statement. Um, Kamala's crush, Cameron, is thankfully not on board with his mother's nasty desperation and attempts to intervene in the melee, but Bruno still gets hurt, and Kamala ends up exposing her powers to Nakia, who is upset and confused at being left out of the loop. After she sees a vision of a train when Najima attempts to grab the bangle, Nani also sees it and demands that Kamala and her mother travel to Karachi immediately. All this action takes place in the last 10 minutes of the episode because unlike some of the other MCU shows, Miss Marvel deliberately makes more room for a character-driven story and that allows us to spend more vital time with Kamala's friends and family. As a result, I don't like seeing Bruno get hurt. I don't like seeing Nakia so crushed by Kamala's secret superhero journey. And I'm mad that the Jin ruined her brother's wedding. So not a whole lot to pack in here episode-wise. Uh, besides the, the beginning where we learned of the Bengals' origin so to speak, and about her great-grandmother, and then right there at the end with the train, which I thought was, you know, really cool-looking, and then the DOD comes in. Wait. Mm -hmm. Department of Damage Control. DODC comes in, and I thought that was fun. We got a lot of character building more so this episode than we did yeah. story-driving, which is fine, because we're right halfway the end through the season, and we're still figuring out who Kamala is and who Bruno, Bruno is and Nakia. Only thing I don't like is Nakia being upset that she was um, uh, Nightlight, is what they're calling her, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we did get the classic comic book line from, well, it didn't come from the dad, it came from the priest. Oh, I'm going to find the, because it's, it's her with great power comes great responsibility. Episode three. Iconic quote. It's going to be here. All right. 15 Miss Marvel episode. Oh my God, BuzzFeed is truly uh, something crazy. Yeah, we got the 10 rings. We already know about that. All right. I'm just scroll, 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 scroll. Because I've got the iconic line, though. What? While you're looking for that, um, this episode flew by to me. Like yes, the end, the end credits hit, and I was like, "Really? Was this like a twenty minute, twenty five minute episode?" Because mm -hmm. it felt like that. Um, it was a good solid episode. I enjoyed it. It, it was. I just, I wanted more. 
Right. But yeah. But that's kind of the theme for us on these shows is, you know, the the episode length is fine, but we just need more episodes in a season. Mm-hmm. And not a terrible amount more. You know, two to four more episodes. Do it like they do with uh, the Netflix shows. I mean, they're like eleven or twelve episodes each, yeah, roughly an hour. And although I can't, wait, I don't think we can call them the Netflix shows anymore. The quote was, and this is our, this is her Miss Marvel's Spider-Man quote, and it is the priest tells, which is usually the dad that tells her this, but as good is not a thing you are, Kamala, it is a thing you do. Because she asks, yeah. how does someone convince? How does she convince everyone that she's good? And I love that quote. And then we also, I didn't even catch this under the episode. Um, when she's talking to Bruno, Kamala says, you're good at math. Do you know anything about interdimensional, interdimensional travel off the top of your head? Specifically that of the Nor dimension. He said, actually, that reminds me of a paper I read. I think it's by Dr. Eric Silvig, which, of course, is in the Thor movies. So, mm-hmm. and Avengers. So, I thought that was cool. Little callback to it. Also, I don't know if you saw this report that came out this past week, too. The guy that plays Bruno was the the runner up to play Spider Man in the MCU before Tom Holland. Yeah. And yeah. it was so funny, Chris. That. Oh my God, I, I meant to tell you this yesterday. So we're watching Miss Marvel and Jamie says, she goes, Oh, he, he would have really been a really good Spider Man. She goes, I kinda see him like a like a young Spider Man. I said, Funny you say that. I said, because I just read an article the day prior that um, he was next up and run for it. And then Tom Holland yeah. got it and I was like but he would have been a good Spider-Man, though. I mean, small little kid, lanky, you know. I think he would have been great, but they obviously kept him in mind what, 10 years later or so, and here he is. Yeah. So. But Tom Holland's fantastic. Yeah, there's no – it's the same thing. There's no new Spider-Man for me yet. I don't think any, anybody could have been done what Tom Holland has done with the character. So, okay. It's time, Chris. It's time for the episode. The Boys, Season 3 again. This is very graphic, and we are going to get into some details, I am sure. But if you're not into the extremely rated maturity stuff, skip this episode until you see the spoilers pop off the screen here. All right. EW.com, Alex Raymond. Uh, Let's see. This week's episode of The Boys packs quite a punch. In many ways, it feels like three seasons of stories coming to a head all at once, making for an incredibly explosive, shocking, and satisfying episode of TV. After last week's episode saw Butcher and Huey ditch Starlight and Mother's Milk in favor of teaming up with Soldier Boy, we catch up with Butcher and Huey in a hotel room, keeping Soldier Boy happy by plying him with burgers, booze, and benzos. After Soldier Boy learned from Crimson Countess that his abduction in Nicaragua was a setup involving his entire team, he decided to hunt them all down and enact his revenge. Butcher and Huey are down to help as long as Soldier Boy helps them take down Homelander. They strike a deal, and Butcher heads out to find a lead. Back at Vought Tower, Homelander learns that Soldier Boy is still alive and it freaks him the F out. He orders Deep now to sold the sole employee of Crime Analytics to keep this under wraps. If word gets out that Soldier Boy is alive and turned villain, it could mean the end of Vought and Homelander. For perhaps the first time in the series, we see Homelander legitimately scared. So instead of handling the situation himself, he sends Deep to track down Soldier Boy's team. Again, Anthony Starr, a phenomenal actor, and he doesn't get a uh, Emmy for TV. Yeah. He's there's something wrong with the with the world because and, he is phenomenal, and Golden Globes I believe also. Right. Uh, he needs everything from this. Um, that the scene where he's talking to himself. Oh, it's like, so good. Yeah, like I feel like they pulled out all the stops for this one. They said whatever you guys got to do, make it just the most perfect episode, and they sure did. Like I don't, I don't know if there is a better episode uh, that we have seen so far of this. 
like for plot line wise, um, superhero fight wise, which we'll get into here in a little bit, and um, just storyline wise as well. So, Homelander rushes out of crime analytics and confines in his most loyal subject, Black Noir, who responds by doing what he always does, staring blankly and saying nothing, which Homelander really, really appreciates. But Black Noir, a former member of Soldier Boy Squad, knows he's in trouble, so he grabs a knife, digs into his arm, rips out his tracking chip, and bails, and no one can find him anywhere. Hilarious, this whole uh-huh. little scene, because uh, he walks into the elevator, a girl is just working in Vaught Tower, is in there, and he looks at his arm, takes his knife, digs into it, and throws a tracker to him, to her, yeah, and just walks out, and she's blood got blood all over. Yeah. All over. <laughs> she, she's just mortified. It's so funny. What I loved is when he hands that tracking device to her, and she just kind of looks at it and goes, "Thank you." Right. <laughs> Thank you. Because <laughs> you know everyone knows not to mess with the soups because they are all right. batshit crazy. Um, for here, we follow Homelander back to his apartment where he looks in the mirror and has a private heart-to-heart with himself. In a terrific Smeagol Gollum homage, Homelander's dark side urges him to kill what's left of his humanity and become the unkillable, unshakable god he was always meant to be. That's a terrifying thought, which, again, we talked about just a second ago. Phenomenal scene at Antony's start is just great. We next check in with Kimiko in the hospital, hurt and confused by Frenchie's sudden absence after the long awaited first kiss. I forgot this whole thing happened this episode. I really did. Um, unaware that he didn't ditch her, he was taken by little Nina's henchman. After sending him a sweet text, one to watch singing in the rain next. She's kidnapped by a Russian goon on orders from little Nina. Meanwhile, Starlight pays a visit to M.M., who, after being betrayed yet again by Butcher, is sort of losing it. He's loading up his weapons and getting ready to use them on not Soldier Boy, but Butcher. Starlight tries talking some sense into him, but it was of no use. M.M. is on the warpath, and nothing is going to stop him. I love the team up. I mean, we had this in season two of them. Was it two or one of them teaming up for a little bit? But uh, oh, I can't remember. God, this, this part's supposed to be great. I, man, this, I want to watch this whole episode all over again. Starlight's facing pressure from all sides of this episode, so the last thing she needs is a private chat with director Newman, who admits to being the infamous head popper, which I think is such a funny name. Uh, yeah. Newman wants Starlight's help exposing Vaught and taking down Homelander. Oh, sorry, ads popped up. And now, okay. Newman wants Starlight's help exposing Vaught and taking down Homelander, but Starlight's tired of sacrificing her integrity for the sake of winning, so she walks out on Newman, making yet another powerful enemy. Dude, I'm, if I'm in Huey's spot, is Newman really that bad guy, though, at this whole... I mean, she's a congresswoman, all politicians are evil kind of thing, but is she, you know, in this world... She's the lesser of all of the evils, I feel like, at this point. Right. And yeah. she's obviously doing what's best. And she's wanting to do what's best for her uh, her daughter and everything. So I'm like, after everybody, is it really that big of a deal? But the fact that we didn't, they didn't drag it out, that Newman doesn't know that everybody else knows she's the head popper, and they just went right into it. And the actress played Newman, Claudia Domit, just she did great as well. She goes, okay, come on. I know that you know. And I was like, oh, yes, finally we're not doing this. Um, Let's see. Honestly, I I think that you'd have to worry about her down the road. Right. But, no, I mean, she's easily, you've got to get (laughs) rid of Homelander. As far as Homelander, I mean, A-Train, the Deep, you've got all these other people. We really worry about her. (laughs) Maybe not so much A-Train anymore. Yeah, yeah, maybe. We'll see. 
We'll see when we get there. The final few acts of the episode take place at the home home of TNT, a fraternal twin pair of soups uh, who worked with Soldier Boy back in the day. Deep is the first person to arrive on the scene, and it's not just TNT that he finds there. It's a soup uh, soup party called Herogasm, a massive orgy of C-less superheroes and prostitutes. Deep, who isn't exactly known for his strong will, folds and joins the party, engaging in some particularly shocking debauchery of his own. We will get there. Meanwhile, Kimiko well, wakes up tied to a chair next to Frenchie's old flame, Cherie, and front of them is a naked, thoroughly tortured Frenchie. This gruesome scene has been orchestrated by Little Nina, who further torments Frenchie by asking him to make a choice. Should she kill Kimiko or Cherie? Before he's forced to decide, Kimiko breaks free and, and takes out Little Nina's henchmen. Kimiko, Frenchie, and Cherie manage to escape, but so does Little Nina, and something tells me we have not seen the end of her. Soon, Starlight and M.M. finds the orgy as well and quickly realize that this pleasure party could turn into a murder party if they don't clear the house before Soldier Boy shows up. But things get complicated when Huey teleports in to do some surveillance and running into his arch nemesis, A-Train. Again, fully naked when he teleports in here. Yeah. Bolstered by the V-24 running through his veins, Huey finally works up the courage to stand up to A-Train, pushing him to apologize for murdering his girlfriend, Robin, back in the pilot. I thought this was... Uh, good story building as well for this one. He, I'm saying, you know, you never apolog- really apologize to her. And A-Train, realizing uh, the, the bad that he's done because he sees his brother all banged up and everything. Because had, he had the conversation with Ashley at the beginning of the episode. That's not really mentioned here. Um, she goes, after everyone you've killed and murdered, you're really worried about this guy. Uh, talking about Blue uh, Blue Hawk. And, and he kind of comes into his own. And then, But when Huey pushes him, she goes, you never really apologize for Robin. He says, you know what? I am truly sorry. He goes, I understand the hurt that I have caused you, and I apologize. And it was very, very good, which I should have realized what was going to happen after that. Because if, it, like any TV show, anytime that anyone redeems himself, something happens. And yeah. sure enough, well, we will get there. And before that happened, Huey just lays him out. Mm-hmm. Punch Cole Cox him right in the, in the jaw. And to Huey's nice. utter shock, A-Train actually apologizes. After watching Blue Hawk cripple his brother, he's finally come to realize the cost of his collateral damage. Huey doesn't know what to say, so he simply winds up and punches A-Train in the face. The fight is quickly broken up by Starlight. Uh, yeah, again, he's naked while all this is happening. A-Train. Why was A-Train there? Did we know why he was there? Because he was I fully closed. I, I think he was going after Blue Hawk. Oh, that's right. That's exactly what it was. Uh, but Huey does put on that robe. Yeah, the little pink, uh, cutesy yeah. little robe, lingerie robe, yeah. whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, it's here that shit really starts to go down. Huey teleports Starlight out of the house trying to save her from what's to come. But Starlight doesn't need a superhero. She needs the kind, vulnerable Huey she met on the park bench in season one. The two have it out while naked, post to fortune, mind you, in a brutal argument that feels like the death knell for the relationship. And I hate this. Oh, I hate this so much because I love Huey and uh, Starlight together. I really do. And I feel like they complement each other well. Uh, meanwhile, back at the orgy, Mother's Milk sees Soldier Boy walk through the door. He confronts the soup about killing his family. Soldier Boy says, which one? Which causes M.M.'s blood to boil. So he clenches his fist and prepares to fight until Butcher steps between them and asks Soldier Boy to spare M.M. Soldier Boy agrees he's here to kill TNT, not some rando, so he heads off. Finding TNT, who begged for their lives, insisting that it was Black Noir who came up with the plan to betray him, Soldier Boy doesn't buy it. Black Noir doesn't make a move without Vought's approval. As he prepares to execute TNT, a nearby radio suddenly begins playing the Russian pop song, which triggers Soldier Boy's trauma and causes him to lose control of his powers, just like he did in New York. The home and everyone in it is decimated. Hilarious little scene here with TNT. Um, the brother of the twins was filming people use the toilet and 
but put it on the big screen TV and the scene's happening and it's right there on the back of the TV. And Soldier Boy says something about the, the he's like, oh, that looks like a used asshole or something like that. I was like, oh my God, dude. Oh, it was just yeah, something I never thought I would ever see in a TV show, ever. No, and, you know, seeing <laughs> C- 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 TNT here as well because, you know, they, Warner Brothers and DC just scrapped the Wonder Twins movie, mm-hmm. which is essentially what they're a spoof of. Right. Um, so that that was kind of a, a little bit of a one last jab with these characters. Can't even use their powers uh, either. They touch uh, hands, uh, just this little spark, because they haven't done it in so long. It's so funny. Oh, God. As the bloody survivors stumble out of the home, A-Train finds Blue Hawk and dishes out some justice for his brother by grabbing the racist soup and dragging him at full speed down a highway until he's nothing more than a mangled pile of meat. But the physical exertion is too much for A-Train, whose heart gives out, leaving him lying alone on the asphalt. Could this be the final stop for the A-Train? Because I mean, he, we see, hear his heartbeat, they make it very loud and audible, and then it stops. And he just kind of yeah. rolls his head over. Do we think he's dead? I don't know. I mean, maybe? I <clears throat> I think because he could he could tune in and hear it. Homelander doesn't have any allies. Mm. Uh, A-Train wants his acceptance. Maybe he doesn't anymore. But right. I can see Homelander saving his life. Swooping by as he's flying out of the yeah. house. Yeah. Oh. That was that was a very, very brutal scene of him uh-huh. dragging the body, just sort of bouncing as he's yeah. running down the road. I said, Oh, this is this is very well done. Looking. Yes, very well very done. Very well done. Um as if this wasn't enough action for one episode, Homelander touches ground outside the wreckage of the house. And if you ever wondered who would win in a fight, Superman or Captain America, here's your answer. And what's possibly the most badass action scene of the series thus far, Homelander and Soldier Boy face off. And just when it seems like Homelander has the edge on Superboy, Butcher and Huey show up, powers on full display, to Homelander's, con- to Homelander's confusion. With Soldier Boy, Butcher, and Huey working together, they manage to pin Homelander down. And just as Soldier Boy is about to blast him away, Homelander escapes. As the dust settles, we end this episode with Starlight, who goes on Instagram Live and lets Lois exposing the truth about Soldier Boy, Vought, Homelander, all of it. She signs off not as Starlight, but as Annie January, and quits the Seven. I mean, she just says, uh, my name is Annie January, it's not Starlight, and I quit. And that's how the episode ends. I was like, yep, I'm all about this. But we, we got to we talk about the fight here. This fight was so well choreographed and so very well done that I, I absolutely loved it. And, I mean, I thought Homelander was honestly about to get nuked this episode. But yeah. I guess because he already used that power just a little bit prior, it took him, it took uh, Soldier Boy a little bit longer to charge it up because I felt like we were charging it for a while. But it was really cool because you had Huey on one side, Butcher on the other, Soldier Boy standing above him, and Homelander's got his eyes red, and they're just pushing his head into the ground where he can't use it, do anything. And yeah, like, and it's so damn cool. It took everything in him mm-hmm. to take off this, and get out of that situation. But now he knows about Soldier Boy is out to kill him. He knows that Butcher and Huey are involved. And now uh, Starlight he knows they have quit. powers. And they have powers. He was very confused about that. He said, yeah. what? That didn't make it. Because he, he blasted him with that, uh, his eye beam. Like he was about to kill him. And yeah. he's like, 
that it doesn't make any sense. And like again, Anthony Starr's acting like you can tell the confusion on his face. I'm surprised we have not seen this guy in more things, honestly. But I think after this, his career is going to take off because he's got yeah. range for days. And oh my lord, this episode was was a showcase of it. And and there's some stuff that the uh, some humorous stuff that the recap doesn't mention, like uh, the guy that meets uh, Annie and mm at the door which what, was a what, callback what? from season two yeah because he was and in the little ca- prison thing well the mental they call him what they, they call him what love meat love or something. oh love love sausage yes love sausage and he's like i like it yeah I he like goes it. i like that and when i had the um subtitles on that's what they put his name as the love sausage after that and i was like that's so good very well it's done. that way it's that way in the credits too yeah Dude, they're just so good man um, and he's still but, alive at the end of this, just out there yeah. dangling. And um, <laughs> but MM gets uh, splooshed. He gets unloaded on. Like, so the voice parent, that was in there was Eric Kripke, the yeah. director and writer. Parents, cover your kids' ears. Uh, MM got bukkake. Yeah, uh, right. extremely. <laughs> Dude, it was so good. I mean, it was. What was funny was. This has never before been done that I've seen. The episode starts with a disclaimer. And it says, uh-huh. you know, everything was done safely with everyone's consent. No one was um, hurt or anything during this filming of this. No animals. Yeah, no animal, even animals, uh, people. I don't think or, they touched on that. Yeah. And it, um, and um, it, it ensued. <laughs> Annie walks in on the deep. Uh, having sex with an octopus. Yep. Uh huh. You hear him talking to somebody, and I saw the fish tank. I said, "Oh no, 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 no!" And he turns around, and it's not what, it what it is. <laughs> even more important, she videoed it. Yep. And you got to figure that she's going to send that out. Oh yeah, she's because she just you know at the end of the episode just lost it. So she's yeah. she's definitely exposing everybody at this yeah. point. Um, and I, th- I think a lot of that's born out of her disappointment with Huey. Yeah. I, I think if he was still there, the same guy that she wanted him to be, mm-hmm. she would have held it together more right. so. Uh, so uh, Butcher and Huey definitely have an addiction here. Like this is, we're, we're mm-hmm. past uh, just using it for this little bit. It's on full-blown addiction. Yeah. And uh, you can tell. Uh, so other observations they have here. Soldier Boy is truly a product of a different generation. There's no better example of that. It is epically uh, uncomfortable quip about Bill Cosby. Quote, Cos, that's a real man. Holy shit, did he make some strong drinks. Yeah, they went there. <laughs> um, Hero Gaza might be one of the wildest things I've ever seen on TV. Toilet surveillance, a soup simultaneously pleasuring three women with his mind. M.M. getting covered in semen. Yeah, they went there as well. And then my eyes nearly popped out of my head when I saw the deep getting a blowjob from an octopus. But I mean, of course they went there to the boys. What did you expect? <laughs> I mean, this episode, I want to watch it again because there's a lot that happens, and there's a lot to take in as they're walking uh-huh. through the house. And I want to watch that superhero fight again at the end too. So, yeah, to yeah. be fair. Um, so we're out of all of our shows. Uh, no, so we've got one episode of Superman and Lois, uh, three episodes of Miss Marvel, and two episodes of The Boys Left uh, for the year. And then we're, I think we're SOL until She Hulk comes back because I don't think there's any other show. Titans is still filming. Doom Patrol hasn't even attempted filming yet. Um, Invincible, we haven't heard an update on. Invincible, we haven't heard anything from. 
So we might have to. Oh no, we could always go ahead. We'll adopt a show. Adopt, yeah, we could adopt a show, or we could go back to an old one and do a week by week kind of thing. Uh, why don't we yeah. have it reviewed yeah. or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Um, or like review a first half of the season or second half of the season, something like that. You know, we'll figure Maybe it out. Check out some of the uh, OG Netflix shows. Yeah. For Marvel or. Oh, that'd be awesome. I like where we're going here. Oh, that would be actually really good. All right. Releases this week. Wednesday, June 29th, Baymax, the Disney Plus series, launches on Disney Plus. And Friday, July 1st, Stranger Things, vol- Season 4, Volume 2, which is only two episodes. But the first episode is an hour and like 15 minutes. The second episode is two and a half hours long. So it might as well just be a movie. A movie. And my wife has already said there are no plans Friday night because we're watching both. And I said, oh, okay. So, yeah, she said we're – she goes, we, we waited uh, like two weeks to start watching Stranger Things last time, the Season 4. She goes, we're not falling behind. We're watching it night one. And I said, okay, just let's get some popcorn and stay here all night long until like midnight. Cause it's going to take us a while. But that is it yeah. for our TV shows this week. Awesome. Well, that means we're going to movies. Mm-hmm. Um, did we watch a movie this week? Yeah, we watched a movie this week. <laughs> uh, I can't pull us by hand on what it was, though. <laughs> um. So, did you watch any other movies this week? Uh, I watched the original Thor, leading up to Thor um, Love and Thunder. I'm watching through all the other movies. I think I'm going to skip two, but I am going to watch um, No Thor Dark Ragnarok. World for you. Yeah. It's uh, not the best one. Probably my least favorite Marvel movie. It's not the... It's not... Uh, yeah, it's still pretty bad. I'm just going to put it there. Right. But yeah, Thor, it's still a different kind of movie. Uh, uh-huh. Different time, but... I, I like where we are now with Taika Waititi. So, yeah, we got uh, we got a trailer before our movie this week mm-hmm. for Thor. Um, so that was that was good. A lot of different trailers. Yeah, before, some before of them week. like uh, the trailers were really cut really well. Uh, I don't think any of the movies I'd be watching though. I was expecting no. like something good to be coming out, but it was like more of a target different that, targeted audience. The one that we saw the poster for head and in and neither of us knew what it was uh, about the, uh, the, the girl that grows up by herself in the marsh where the crawdad sings. In the swamp. Yeah. Yeah. That might be a, yeah, that good looks play. good, but some of the others, they're, they're period, which I don't mind period pieces, mm-hmm. but they're, it's, it's stuff that I don't think they were targeted just, towards us. No, <laughs> which, is, which is something eventually that I do want to talk about with uh with our movie this week which is elvis mm-hmm. uh now it's it's tough to know how much to say because i don't feel like on one hand that there's a ton that's spoilery here yeah that's i think we can just talk about anything we want to but it's not really spoilers it's kind of a what do they call these it's, it's not really a documentary story it's like a Biopic. Biopic. Yeah, we, so, I mean, it's not really spoilery because there's a lot of things in here I didn't even know about Elvis, like, at all. Like, I had no idea he was in the Army for two years. I had no idea that's where he I mean, he married his – I knew he had a drug addiction problem. I did not – I had no idea who um, Tom Hanks' character was before going into this. Honestly, I just I just never did. The only thing I've known Elvis from is he died of the pot. Uh, he uh, had drug issues. And he was a huge star. Like, uh, the majority of this movie, Chris, I had no idea about. Like, at all. Yeah. So, so 
Baz Luhrmann really the movie does not run strictly chronologically so if you're going and thinking mm -hmm. you're going to see Elvis as a kid then everything happened in order uh, it doesn't really work that way uh, it kind of bounces back and forth at times showing flashbacks to him as a kid or him when he's starting out um, you get a lot of the major events in his career if you're familiar with Elvis it's not going to surprise you if you're really familiar with Elvis, you do have to overlook some stuff. Um, primarily that they kind of condense some things for right. time purposes. It's a two and a half hour movie. So um, uh, one of the things that kind of caught my eye, for instance, was uh, you get to his Vegas opening in 69. The performance that they use that Austin Butler recreates is actually from a year later. Mm-hmm or that that's the way it is special. The jumpsuit he's wearing and, and everything is from a year later. But everything else about it is from the, the Vegas opening. Um, my, my thing is that I'll, I want to get into my thoughts, but first I want to know yours because I grew up an Elvis fan. So I, you came into it, like you said, with very little mm -hmm. knowledge. So I'm curious how it hit you. So this movie, I really, 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 really enjoyed. Like, I am at, and I've been struggling ever since we got out of the theater. What do I want to give this on Letterboxd? Like, I am at, a, I'm at either a four and a half or completely five stars. Like, I, I absolutely love this movie. And we even talked about before recording. I want to go watch this again just, yeah. to, just to see it because um, I really did enjoy it. The, I think the opening up, I did not like it. Like, at first, I was very worried. Because they had um, Colonel Tom Parker, Tom Hanks, talking over, and it kind of was like doing all these little weird camera motions, going through things, at him like uh, having a heart attack, or going back to the hospital, and I was just doing these very weird camera angles and going in and out of stuff, and I was like, I don't like how this is, is working. But once we actually started in on the story of getting to it, like I feel like it was more of a an Elvis movie, but also a Colonel movie as well. Yeah. And I mean, and it's, I understand that now because you can't have a conversation about Elvis without mentioning Colonel and you can't have a conversation about Colonel without mentioning Elvis. And I mean, that was, I think that was the whole point of the whole movie. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm glad at the very end, you know, I talked about after, cause it ends pretty much with uh, Elvis's death and right. it, at the end of the movie though, it has little blurbs up that says, you know, he was eventually tried and sued for, um, how was it? for exploiting Elvis and I mean the movie was not he was not a good person and you, you kind of see it from his perspective and even when they're on the stage at one point and he had a, a napkin with the with the international deal on it I was mm -hmm. like okay he's going to not do this and then obviously it didn't work out that way but I was like what what kind of different life and how much longer could have Elvis lived if Colonel Tom Parker was cut off early on in his career right like where would where would he been i mean he could honestly still be alive today albeit very old but he would have been because the doctor like he kept giving him shots like adrenaline and stuff like he was not doing good things to elvis and no. um but no i really really enjoyed this movie i'm gonna go ahead and say let's make this a, a perfect movie this is a five for me uh even yeah. with that little bit at the beginning like we had some we had some his obviously the elvis songs in it we had songs from B.B. King in there as well. And then we had, like, 
uh, songs from our time mixed in with Elvis's songs. And like when they were doing in between scenes, like when they were doing the going through Beale Street uh, at nighttime. The one time when Elvis was driving through his car, they had uh, I think it was Cardi B. Is it Cardi B or uh, Nicki Minaj? I haven't looked it up yet. But them rapping and singing as they were doing, it. I was like, "This is really well done." And like it was, the whole movie was really cool and really well done. Like the whole extras behind the scenes making Memphis feel alive in its own character on top of everybody else. It was very, very well done. And I mean, there's a whole like I want to either read or watch something more on Elvis because like the whole like everything I did not know like I had no idea he was in the army for two years I had no idea there was a, a the young Elvis I guess is what you call of his career before he went to the army and they like I didn't realize there was a big uh, segregation issue with the way he was dancing and singing and everything I never knew that and so yeah. when all that was happening at the baseball field he was doing the concert I was like this is nuts and yeah, I was like of course it's the world that you know, we live in and that's still, still around, but I was like, that, I had no idea the king of rock and roll was a big, um, advocacy for, uh, uh, anti-segregation and everything. And mm-hmm. I was like, this is, this is awesome and really cool. And I mean, Austin Butler acted his ass off like him and Tom Hanks, uh, both did a phenomenal yeah. job. Uh, the lady that played, uh, Priscilla, let me see, uh, Olivia oh. Dijonge, but again, phenomenal like all three of them deserve oscars for this 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 should be an oscar film and if it's not then this world is the academy is really wrong seriously wrong i i loved walk the line when it came out Mm -hmm. and that got nominated so this should definitely be um that's what i was curious about coming at it from your perspective was it going to get you interested in checking out more? Oh, it did. Yeah, 100% did. Because that's what people have been thinking is going to happen. Because when Walk the Line came out, interest in Johnny Cash among young people spiked. Mm-hmm. Right? They got interested in it. And they're thinking the same thing is going to happen here. Um, it's one of the things that I really, really liked about the movie is that they do show in those early scenes what Tupelo was like mm-hmm. because it's it's not necessarily accurate in terms of that big field with the revival tent and all that um, it's not that they went to Tupelo and filmed or anything like that but Elvis as a kid he played with white kids and he played with black kids mm-hmm. because his family they were sharecroppers and in that sharecropping community, you just helped each other out. Right. You know, they, they describe it that if if you had a tool, if you were fortunate enough to have, say, a tool that other people in the community would need, it was everybody's mm. because everybody was poor. And so he kind of grew up with that. And that's why he, he didn't think anything about going to... Um, going to churches that were that were traditionally black mm-hmm. he didn't think any he didn't think anything about going down on bill street and hanging out well and they, and they portrayed that really well like when he was when he was at the white community they were uh, judging him and making fun of him for hanging out with black people but like when he went to bill street and he went to that church in particular like he would they did not look at him differently like he no. was one of them and 
a part of that family and part of that world. And that was like they like even with the church revival, which was so cool because he's he they mentioned it throughout the whole movie how much he loved Captain Marvel. Uh-huh. And he even had the logo, and he you know he sees himself as Captain Marvel Junior, and he wants to get to the the Rock of uh, Eternity, mm-hmm. and like when he goes to the revival, and starts feeling the music, and you know, they they like film the soul of uh, Jesus and everything, and they all lift him up, and he's a part of the community with them, and it's it it was so well done, like every performance across the board. I mean, there's a lot of famous people in this movie, but it was mm-hmm. so well done. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I wanted. To, what did you think of it? And what are you? Um, anything they did particularly well? Anything that they didn't mention that you wish they did, or anything like that? Uh, I'm kind of like you. I, I've been going back and forth between four and a half and five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I entered a four and a half on Letterbox just because I feel like, for me, I wouldn't have minded another. 20 to 30 minutes just to add a few more things in. I didn't realize this movie was that long, though, because, like, I kept thinking we were getting closer to the end of it. And, like, we, the movie started at 10.30. We left the theater at 1.35-ish. Yeah. Or, like, we got out of our theater at 1.35-ish. And I was like, oh, I didn't realize it was that long. But, like, it, it kept going. And, like, it kept telling me more that I didn't know. Because there were several parts. I was like, okay, this is, we're getting close to wrapping it up. This is where he's about to die. Mm-hmm. This is where he's about to die. But no, they kept going through it, and I like it at the end of it, they, well, the one critique I wish they would have done a little bit differently, oh, I got something else to talk about after this, too, uh, but the, when people took pictures of the newspapers and things like that, I kind of wish they would have gotten those pictures from real life and put mm. those in the movie. Um, but Austin, the way the, the production team Excuse me. did with Austin Butler's makeup throughout the whole film, making him look aged. I meant to tell you that yesterday. I said, that was really remarkable. Because, I mean, they had him real yeah. young, and then they they aged him as the movie went on. And I was like, uh-huh. this kid is, you know, he's in his 20s. I said, but they they made him look old and really, really well done. Same thing with uh, Colonel Tom Hanks. But he was just in a fat suit and some makeup. But he did really, really well. Yeah, they uh, they do a cool transition at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's the CBS special that um, it aired after Elvis died. It was filmed on the last tour, and Austin Butler, they've got his face full. Mm-hmm. It did look like there was a little bit of CGI there. Yeah. Um, but I'm sure there were probably some prosthetics as well. And um, – they what they do is midway through that performance of Unchained Melody, they shift to the real footage yeah. of Elvis, and then from there you get a lot of real images of him as opposed to Austin Butler in the role, and uh, so that was kind of cool because then mm-hmm. that leads directly into the shots and the footage of the funeral procession and and stuff like that. So. Um, I like the way that they handled everything. I do think. I don't know. I'm I'm curious what the sources were for some of the stuff. I've never heard that the colonel, for sure, was the reason behind him getting drafted, which is what the movie says. Yeah. That because he refuses to tame himself down, and to av- avoid the colonel himself being deported, he strikes a deal with. Uh, 
with the government to draft Elvis into the army for two years. I'm sure that was more um, so for dramatic effect. Too, it could have been, but then yep. knowing how the colonel was. Right. It could be true, too. It could be true. Um, I would have liked probably a touch more uh, to do with the movies, mm-hmm. uh, especially maybe the early movies. A little scene or two maybe from the Jailhouse Rock set or something like that. There's not really, though, a lot that they missed Mm-mm. as far as the major events. They kind of glossed over Aloha from Hawaii, the, yeah, they, the satellite concert. Yeah, they mentioned it like once and shown a, a kind of like a little graphic, a little motion-moving graphic, and that was kind of it. Yeah, but. so that might be one. Um, yeah, it's – they they mentioned um, – trying to think what it was so he comes out of the army he does gi blues because of course hollywood's going to make money off the fact that he was just in the army Mm -hmm. and then they do show like flaming star big dramatic role but they that was nice that they threw that in there because the colonel always promised him more serious movies and never delivered right um i do find it interesting because the the estate and the family were involved in the in the movie to the point of information, you know, advising them on certain things. Um, and Margaret doesn't get mentioned here. And she and Elvis made the movie Viva Las Vegas together. Uh, they had a pretty serious fling while that was going on. Uh, they stayed friends for the rest of his life. There were people who said who who were around him, who claimed that had she been willing to walk away from her career, he would have married her. Mm. So I mean, it was it was a pretty serious thing. I don't know if that's a hundred percent accurate. Um, they also told the '68 special differently, a little bit. I'd always heard that they they kept going back and forth with the colonel about, about it not being a christmas show mm-hmm. and finally the finally they worked out the deal that blue christmas would be sung on on the stage when he's in the black leather and that that would be the christmas song for the show but here they sell it as he he always believes that there's going to be these christmas numbers um and they always pull the wool over his eyes. I mean, it was funny. There's there's a scene where the gospel numbers are being done for the 68 special. And he he's in the control booth, the colonel is. And he says, this cannot be in the special. And Steve Bender looks to his assistant and says, make sure this is in the special. Mm-hmm. They, they, they made some funny little quips in it. It was really, it was yeah. really good. Yeah, they really did. Uh, but it's... They got Gladys's alcohol addiction, uh, which was good. And I I felt like they could have fleshed out just a bit more mm-hmm. uh, her bond with Elvis. Um, I mean, you they do touch on very early that he was one of one of two. He was a twin and his twin was stillborn. Um, she I think it was another th- 35 minutes or so that she was in labor 
mm. um, before Elvis came. And they had a part of the quote that she said to have have told him a, no, a number of times over the years, which what she supposedly always told him was that when one twin dies at birth, the soul of that twin goes into the other twin's body. Therefore, the surviving twin has twice the fortune, twice the fame, twice the sorrow, twice the pain. So Sure enough. Sure enough. But I did like that they got the... They had some nice scenes with, with he and Lisa, even though the, the actress that played her, I don't think, really had any lines. Right. Um, Not until right there at the end. She barely said anything, but... Yeah, but that scene in the limo outside the airplane when he and Priscilla see each other for the last time, last time in the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the last time in reality, but... And he has that line of, I'm going to be 40 soon, and nobody's going to remember me. And right. it's like, dude. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, it's they did a good job of, of portraying why he would have felt that way. Because, like, yeah. the, in the background, you hear about um, all these new His artists and, like, coming up and taking over. Like, even one of the radio shows said, you know, for the newer, you know, for the big crowd, there's a big show in Las Vegas. You know, for the older crowd, Elvis is still going on this weekend. I was like, okay. So. Yeah. But it's uh, it's one of those things, too, where he was – he didn't believe he could be a rock and roll artist at 40. Right. Because no one had done it because he was the first one, you know. So that's probably a large part of why he felt that way. Yeah. But I, overall, it touched on a lot of key points. I will say this. Some of his – some of his exes – in the case of uh, of Linda Thompson and some of his family members have been on social media saying that they were upset. They weren't consulted for portions of the movie that they would have been there for. They weren't asked to the premiere. Mm. It really wasn't a strictly Elvis movie. Like you said, it was Elvis and the Colonel. Yeah. So, like... Linda Thompson was with him for four, four and a half years after Priscilla, but there really wasn't a lot she could have been in there scene-wise. Yeah. Handing Lisa off at the airport was probably just about it. Yeah. Um, And his cousin, one of his cousins, Billy Smith, has been out on social media talking a lot about that. And he's in the movie. He's represented. But there wasn't anything impactful there that right i mean that would have done anything with the story right so So i i think once which a lot of them are saying they're not going to see it because they weren't asked to be a part of it but if they they don't need your your ticket sales at this point yeah oh and we could we'll talk about here that here in just a second but yeah they um it it the way the story was told it really didn't involve them right i mean it involved Priscilla as much as it did because she was there for that period where he was like, do I really need the colonel? And he was starting to, she was helping to open his eyes to stuff that he could do that the colonel didn't want him to do, like touring the touring the world. Um, really quickly, this is from Deadline, Anthony... D'Alessandro, uh, and th- this just got updated this morning. Yeah, just 
couple hours ago. Elvis and Top Gun Maverick are in a dead heat for number one with both Warner Brothers and Paramount, respectively calling each film at $30.5 for the weekend. Um, I want to get to the part here. Uh, now, it's, it's Top Gun's fifth weekend. So the fact that Top Gun in its fifth weekend is still doing this well is... Well, they, is, they just crossed $1 billion this weekend. Yeah. But this is Elvis's opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and they point out... Let's see if I can find this here. I had it on that part, and it, it's... Um, yeah. It says here, big cheer to Warner Brothers for getting much older... Um, moviegoers out which in updated comscore screen engine post track exits is 31 percent of the of the movie going audience i guess for elvis is over 55 48 percent over 45 not to mention elvis reps a breakthrough at the box office for a long-running time pick at two hours and 39 minutes um it speaks about here how older women especially were slow to return to cinemas during the pandemic. Uh, but Elvis has pulled in a huge 45% of women over 25 who gave the pick its highest grade on their way out of the theaters at 92%. I wonder why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, and then it mentions the success here with Elvis shows these adult skewing movies can still open on the big screen to very good numbers. Um, that's somewhat true, but I mean, this also comes with a built-in audience. Yeah, it's not like we mentioned some of those previews we saw before this that would also fit that demographic. They're not going to go see those movies. No, in theaters. Maybe a DVD or wait for it to come to their house kind of thing. Yeah, this is a different thing where you have someone who is a pop culture icon pulling right. the, pulling people into the theater. But. Thirty and a half million for the opening weekend, I think, is the is that the biggest non comic related opening weekend? Let's see, I don't because Top Gun. Top Gun probably beat that. Yeah. In its opening weekend, I think it was like fifty, maybe. Yeah. I think. But it's it's definitely up there. Most of the opening weekends have for non-superhero stuff has been like 14, yeah. 12, 10. Not this well. Not this well. So that's definitely a big, big plus. So did you have anything else you wanted to say about this? No, I just, I really want to watch it again. I really want to watch it again. <laughs> and I mean, it's, I feel like this is our, our strongest review of a movie we've done in a long time, just because of yeah. one of your knowledge of it and my, my not having not that much knowledge about it. So like I, I went right. into it, you know, no, I was like, okay, you know, it was a great rock and roll star. He did flashy outfits. Um, and all this stuff. Like I really did not know a whole lot of the story. And like, I, I like how you mentioned that with the whole sharecropping thing and how it was all about family and everyone's family. Cause when he, every time we showed Graceland, the whole family was out front doing something and playing and doing things. And that just, you know, marks on that too. And it's just, it's crazy to me. And now I want to go to Memphis. And there tour Graceland. Hey, we'll, we'll do a road trip. I'm saying it's not that. I mean, it's only three and a half hours from us, so it's not too terribly bad. Uh, b- before we leave it, 
So uh, there, that did remind me. You mentioned the uh, the family all being out in the yard and everything. Um, there's a scene in the movie where he does snap at, I think it's Jerry Schilling, because mm. he kind of questions like it, it, they're talking about the '68 special, which is um, sponsored by the Singer Sewing Machine Company. And Jerry's like, oh, so you want him to sell some more appliances. Right. And he said something to him to the effect of, it's not your business how I support all of you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of brought to mind the Beatles had a, uh anthology special, multi-parts, back in the 90s. And George Harrison said in that that he always felt bad for Elvis because there was only one Elvis. Mm-hmm. You know, he said... Everything was on him, and no one around him knew what it was like to be Elvis. To have the pressure, to have all that adoration thrown mm-hmm. your way, nobody knew. Whereas the Beatles each had each other. Right. They could talk know. about with each other and go through right. it together. Yeah. But very good movie. It's definitely worth going to the mm-hmm. theater to watch. I think, the, I think I saw the IMAX screens are taken up with... Um, Top Gun that's in IMAX right now, or is it uh, Lightyear? Mm, it's probably Top Lightyear, Gun still. Lightyear plummeted, by the way. I saw something where I think it its box office went down, I want to say it was like 79% or really? something like that. Where it just, yeah. Now that'll probably rebound some, because 4th of July weekend coming right. up. But. All yeah, right. Light years in IMAX. Jurassic World Dominions in IMAX. Top Gun Maverick. So it's those three. Yeah. Well, next week, right, we're going to be reviewing The Man from Toronto, which is on Netflix. So if you want to watch that before the show, please do. Mm-hmm. Uh, stars Kaylee Cuoco and Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart. That's a interesting comedic duo it's got kevin hart woody harrelson k cuoco pearson fode and looks like that's it like as far as big names at least that's what imdb is popping up right all right let's get on to the news really big news from e-news and this comes from keisha ford a spy kids reboot is happening with gina rodriguez and zachary levi <laughs> <laughs> The, the, More than the two, uh, the main cast is what was came out this week. So, yeah. More than twenty years after the hit movie Spy Kids debuted in theaters, the family-centric franchise is back in a new way. Netflix announced a reboot starring Gina Rodriguez and Zachary Levi. Um, he doesn't have genu- any spy experience though, so I don't know why he would have tried out this role. Right. <laughs> I mean, might be a little chucktastic. Right. Um, on June 23rd, the streaming service announced the streaming service announced another film from the family-friendly franchise centered on spies, which first debuted in 2001, is in the works. Uh, the other two stars here are Everly Carjania and Connor Esterson. So those will be the kids. Definitely worth checking. I like Zach Levi, so yeah, I'll check that out. Anything he's in, I kind of want to watch. So he's a good yeah. actor. Good people too. Good people. He wrote a book, didn't he? Oh, did he? I think he did. I know he's, he's got his own promoting. little wine company. 
which I mean, what actor does not now? So, right, Stephen Amell trailblazing right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I sure does called my, Radical Love. I've got my knocking point hat somewhere around here. Good wine, check them out. Oh, it not comes endorsed. out in two days, Chris. Come on. Can't just tell me about this book and it comes out in two days now. Well, you know, if they would have contacted us to do a I book review, could have read that one. Yeah, see. <laughs> Uh, next news item from comicbook.com, and the writer here is Jamie Jarak. Chris Hemsworth says naked scene in Thor Love and Thunder was a dream of his. Thor Love and Thunder is finally hitting theaters in July, and the first reactions from critics have been extremely positive, calling the movie hilarious and heartfelt. There's much to look forward to in the new film from fan-favorite returning characters to some MCU newcomers. One thing that will be making its Marvel debut in the new movie is Chris Hemsworth's butt. (laughs) That's a very boy's sentence. Mm -hmm. Uh, The moment was teased in the movie's trailer, and fans are definitely excited to get a peek. In fact, the butt reveal marks the first time a Marvel rating cites partial nudity. During the Thor Love and Thunder premiere earlier this week, Hemsworth had a great response when asked about showing his rear. It was ten years in the making, that scene. Kind of a dream of mine, Hemsworth told Variety when asked about his butt's debut. The first time I played Thor, I took my shirt off and I thought, you know, what's going to sweeten this? A decade from now, it's all going to come off. Yeah, I bet that's what he was thinking then. (laughs) I feel like like we'd all talked about it, director Taika Waititi asked... That's how they wrote it. Yeah, that's how they wrote it. (laughs) We had talked about, yeah, we got to show off this body. My whole thing was like, Chris works so hard, you got to show it off. Don't cover it up with all these suits and the cape and stuff. It's not fair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This just goes to show that the humor in these movies definitely comes from behind the scenes. It's not. It's it's uh it's organic. It's not uh yeah forced or anything like that. (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. Oh, okay. There's not really much else to say no, about that. That's about it. I just thought that was a fun little yep. news story to throw in there this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also from comicbook.com and Patrick Cavanaugh, Marvel Studios announces SDCC plans. This could be big, big news mm-hmm. if they go the way we're thinking that they may go. After much speculation from fans in recent months, Marvel Studios announced today what their plans are for the upcoming San Diego Comic-Con. Between the number of projects the studio's developing, the return to celebrating SDCC in person, and with the D23 Expo coming later this year, fans have been wondering how much the studio would be focusing on the Marvel Cinematic Universe and what's on the horizon. And now we know there will be an in-person presence and presentation at the event. This year's San Diego Comic-Con will be running July 21st through July 24th and bringing with it a barrage of exciting experiences in honor of a number of franchises. Now, this is Kevin Feige. We'll be at Comic-Con next month, which we're excited about. First time since we were on stage there three years ago talking about this movie and many others referencing Thor, Love and Thunder. And now I think almost, not everything, but almost everything we discussed three years ago that was released, so we are excited to go and talk about the future. Mm. In the early days of the, well, this this gets into their history there. But what we're thinking we're going to hear is 
basically how phase four is going to end. Mm-hmm. And we may even get, was it last week or the week before that we did a, a Feige story about him saying that there'll be a lot of really little hints dropped right. that'll lead people on the path of knowing what this entire arc of the MCU is going to be about. Um, I'm excited. We we know we're getting a Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, I think we'll They've get some excellent that. news out of this. They they almost have to, don't they? Yeah. I mean, it's. I'd like to hear some casting news yes. for some of the characters. I would like. I don't know why, because this was never even a top ten character for me growing up. But I would love to hear them announce a casting for like a Victor Von Doom. Yeah, I mean they, especially for doing Fantastic Four. Like, they could even say, "Oh, here's going to be, you know, who here's our Fantastic Four, and then have Victor Von Doom like as early bad guy and come back mm-hmm. later as a big villain of everything." Like, I would, oh, I would really love some casting news. So we already know the director, um, right? Because John Watts stepped down. I forgot who took over. Has anybody taken over yet? I don't. It's a good question. But I mean, we should, we should hopefully get casting news for it. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering if they'll do the slow roll here, where they introduce Victor Von Doom, the scientist. Right. But he doesn't become Doctor Doom until the second or third movie. Um. Because I, I imagine Fantastic Four is going to be one that we get a franchise within the franchise where it's like yeah. Thor or Captain America or Iron Man or something Someone like that. Someone helped them leading it off. Yeah. Um, it'd, be, it'd be really interesting, though. And uh, Spider-Man's had so many interactions with the Fantastic Four, you figure there's going to be... Yeah, somehow throw him in there. there. Yeah. Or even just a mention. It'd be nice. Uh, but luckily we don't have long to wait. Right. And, uh, so next we'll, month? Yeah. A month from now we'll find out. Mm-hmm. Um, releases this week. Everybody's uh, everybody's soft spot, I feel like. For the, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people just love these characters. Uh, July 1st in theaters. Minions, The Rise of Gru. Um, the little Tic Tacs that run around and cause <laughs> all sorts of mischief. I gotta give you some of those Tic Tacs because every time they have a Minions movie come out, they've got like a whole giant thing of Tic Tacs with their eyes on it and everything. I need to give me some for this year. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's it for movies. So listen, Tyler. As, as far as video games, I don't have any new stories to talk about this week at all. Um, so like, as far as I've been playing, I've played Naraka Blade Point, played like three or four games with it. It's okay. I don't think I'm gonna go back to it at all, really. But it's it's fine. It's not that terribly bad. It's free on Game Pass, so you can't really go wrong there. Uh, played a little bit of Destiny still, which is normal. But other than that, that's that's all I've been doing for gaming. What about you? Anything good? I've been doing the usual stuff, really. Um, kind of getting to a point where I'll probably delete Madden here soon mm-hmm. Madden 22 because 23 is going to drop in like six weeks or something right. like that uh, so that'll give me over that 
time span. It'll give me time to dive into some other stuff before get that backlog going a little out. bit. Yeah. Um, there's not. If if people haven't yet, I think it was earlier this week when I had the chance to upgrade my PlayStation Plus because mm-hmm. they've got the new tiers. Oh, did you upgrade to a new tier? Yeah. Awesome. So it opens up a lot of streaming games and things like that. So definitely check that out if you're a PlayStation uh, fan, mm-hmm. user, whatever. They've got a lot of good games on there, too, to go back yeah. through and delve in. Uh, as far as releases go this week, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak DLC for the Switch is June 30th. And same day, Outriders World Slayer, the... The new expansion on uh, for Outriders comes out. I have very tempted to buy it and play it, but it's forty dollars, and I'm like, I spent sixty dollars on the first one on the main thing, and it was kind of it was okay. And then mm-hmm. like end game just was very disappointing. Apparently they've revamped everything, but I'm like, as someone who was stuck through at the beginning, I don't want to pay forty dollars for an expansion on a game that. Uh, I won't play that often, so like I'm very, very conflicted with my head there. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm sure I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they should. Expansion should never be that pricey. I think they should cap them at like twenty bucks. Yeah, I mean it's like they're trying to rebrand or redo the game for the most point, but I mean, it's not like Destiny expansions where, uh, it's. I think they're forty to fifty dollars. I think they're forty actually. But I mean, Destiny is a service and a game that has been around for a minute, and they are established and not flopping right now. So, of course, I'm going to. I mean, they've got so much content, which I'm, this is what they're supposed to be doing. But I'll wait until see what the reviews come out and say. And I mean, I had I enjoyed my time with it. I just the online was so jankety; you couldn't play with people or do anything with it. So I was like, I'm not going to delve back into it. So, right, it's supposed to be fixed though, but. We will see next week. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for listening and or watching this episode. We hope you enjoyed the episode of NerdWide Podcast. Don't forget to share on your favorite social media platforms. Don't forget to rate and review us on whatever podcasting service and app you use. Uh, on social media, you can follow the NerdWide account on Twitter at nerd underscore wide. We actually put some pictures up of us uh, yesterday at the movies. We had a ready to watch Elvis. Uh, you can follow me personally at Ty underscore Haynes. You can follow Chris at MavTN7 on Facebook. Search in nerdwine.com. We're the first um, site or, or uh, page that comes up that way. Those two ways are the first way you know when the podcast is out and up. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for watching and or listening. And we really hope you enjoyed it. And we cannot wait to talk to you next time uh, with Superman and Lois' finale. Later, guys.